So what are you going to tell us, tough guys? It's my usual. Zero. Nothing. Are the mind blown at the things that frustrate you still? Even though you say you're going to work on it and say you're going to get your head around a certain issue, you wake up and that same thing happens and then all of a sudden you're just enraged again? There's construction workers a couple of doors down from my house and they, they just, they're just doing their job. I mean, they're probably lovely people. And in fact, many people could argue that the work that they're doing is far more important than the work I'm doing here right now. But nonetheless, when I hit record and I hear this dickhead start hammering again it uh it makes i want to go and fight him and i know it's not good and i know that i'm the problem and the house he's building looks wonderful but i just i want to beat the shit out of this guy and i've i looked out my window to see him and he's massive and so even if i went down there and i genuinely did my best to fight him he would beat the shit and he's got a bloody nail gun so i'd be there with i've never had official fighting practice i've never taken really any classes since i was about eight or nine so the truth is i can do a carter in karate but a card is no good really when it comes to an actual structured fight is it so for me to go to him and even think that i have the right or reason to fight him and then not have the skills to be able to back up my frustration would be would be ridiculous because this is what you have to wrestle with when you're doing a podcast at your house i i mean i'd love i'd love to go and get a, a a noise proof studio but real estate as it is in point lonsdale is preposterous the, the amount that you have to pay for a, an office, which is smaller than this space that I'm in right now, is absurd. And so I can't do that. So I'm left in the upstairs part of my house, which is a lovely part of the house. I mean, I really like this setup. It's a great place to come and work. But when you've got old mate a couple of doors down trying to build a house like a dickhead and you've got to record the pop culture podcast, it's just... It's one of the things you have to navigate through. but Because this is what I have to work with. So before I come up here to record a podcast, I go, okay, well, are my chickens being quiet? Because everyone loves the idea of getting chickens, and then no one ever tells you, hey, Tice, they're going to be so noisy when you try and record your podcast that it's going to sound like you're being heckled by a chicken. And sometimes they get underneath the house, and it magnifies the sound. And so I'm sitting up here, and it just takes me back to like year five, when some kid's having a go at me for not fighting someone else, I could just hear, bark, 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 and I feel like he's having a go at me, but he's not. He's just been, a, he's actually just been a chicken. He's he's just doing what he was designed to do. I got one chicken actually. He's a little psycho because uh, I've built them a, I've got a temporary fence. I'm going to call it. I just got some of those those star picket posts in the back of our yard because we've got a massive backyard, and I I like I hammered them into the ground and I just got chicken wire and put it around. It turns out the chickens that I have are the highest jumpers in Australia. You've never seen a chicken jump as high as the chickens that I have jumped. There's And there's one adventurous one. There's one that uh, uh, they go out the front of my house. So it looks like I've got it pretty settled to like five chickens are in their structured part. They've got their coop back there. They've got a cubby house back there. Uh, they've got fence they've got mulch worms i feed them daily most of them are happy what there's there's one in every class though there's one chicken that each day he goes you know what actually i hate my house this is the dumbest house i'm going to jump the front fence and walk next to the road and i i don't know how true this is i don't know how accurate my claim is but he seems not to go on the road which is good because I, I thought the whole joke of why Diddy crossed the road was based on the fact they had a curiosity for, for wandering further than they should. But they seem they seem quite loyal. I don't know if you've got a chicken, maybe you can tell me the science behind it. But I'm pretty sure they, they seem to stay within about 50 metres of my place. 
And I know that now, so they don't stress me out. My neighbors are relaxed. In fact, either side of my house are holiday homes. So there's rarely people here. But when they are here, like the other day, Neil, great guy, brings us tomatoes. He goes, mate, your chicken's in my backyard. I go, dude, I don't care. I just don't, he's just fine. And Neil's lovely. I didn't speak to him like that at all. But it's kind of the attitude I feel. I'm just like, hey, they're okay. They're okay. And a lady and her husband walked past the other day and she knocked on the door. She goes, hey, I just wanted to let you know that there's a chicken running around the front yard. I go, yep. She goes, oh, are you worried about it being near the road? I was like, look, if it gets hit by a car, I'll drop you off some chicken breast. And she goes, oh, no, I couldn't possibly. I didn't say that. I make myself sound, do you ever make yourself sound really tough when you retell a story? Like, I just made myself sound like a big, tough bastard that's so dry, that just speaks directly, that's not worried about people's feelings. I was lovely to that lady. I said, oh, thank you so much for letting me know. Look, let me tell you what I've learned about them. I'm in the process of trying to build a fence that's going to keep them in, but at the moment we're trying to navigate a little bit of difficulty. So uh, thanks again for being so neighborly. Uh, I'll pick him up. I'll put him away now. And this chicken, I'm not kidding, this is the fastest chicken. So I had to, in front of these people, the, the five other chickens that I have, you can walk over and they just go, have you ever seen a chicken get a fright? They're like, they, they go like this. They just, they just freeze and it makes them very easy to pick up. But one, one of them, it's that same one who jumps the fence. He, he, mate, he, he's so arrogant for a chicken. If he knew what he was, he wouldn't be so cocky. He's so arrogant for what he is. Every now and then I'll just take out like a chicken breast on a plate and go, hey, careful cockhead, this could be you. This guy used to have a good life as well. <laughs> Again, never done that, lying straight to your face. But I have to I have to work to get this guy. I have to run around, try and pick him up. And he just makes you look like a flog. And you want to look like you know what you're doing when the neighbor comes in to tell you about your chicken. Because you already look like you don't know what you're doing because your chicken's out the front walking next to the road. Then when you have to sprint around, he's out weaving you, out agilitying you. I mean, all it does is increase the distrust that the, the neighbours had for your situation here. So that's what's got... I feel like I've started with a couple of complaints, and I'd like to apologise for that. And as a result, actually, uh, not it's almost as though it was a prayer of mine. The the construction work and, uh, worker a couple of doors down has, has stopped for a minute, which is wonderful. You can enjoy some peace and quiet for a minute. It's... It is absurd. Like I, I get frustrated. I say to, I say to my wife, I go, these guys need to get a life. This is a true story, and this is not, not bragging. In fact, it makes me look, it makes me look silly. I go, this guy's got to get a life. She goes, that's the very definition of a life. He's at work. He's working for his. He's literally building a house. What are you you're going to go report record pop culture? Are you? This guy's building a physical house that people will live in. You're going to go and post an episode of pop culture, talk about your chickens, and you're angry about his hammer. What are you doing? And, uh, and and I feel it's a, it's a point that's hard to argue with, isn't it? Because, I mean, uh, though you guys, my family is what I refer to you as. My fa- the pop culture family. Though, though we love and live for this, my construction worker doesn't give a shit about it. And so I'm going to have to just go down and just play him an episode. I go, mate, look, for what it's worth, can you hear that hammering in the background? This is the pop culture podcast, mate. The crew don't like it, is what I say. You can tell when I'm bluffing because I've only ever been in one fight. And and the fight that I was in, true story, the fight that I was in, I was in, I must have been like grade five or six. I was at Bambara Primary School in Western Australia. And there was supposed to be a fight at lunchtime and one kid was so angry. It was terrifying. 
and another kid didn't rock up for the fight. And so there was a massive crowd. There was one kid who just was, he looked strong. And he, he was just ready to, he was ready to take on anyone. He goes, all right, if this guy's not going to fight, who wants to come and fight? And some of my mates said, oh, Tyce, you should do it. And I was like, I'll do it. I'll fight him. I, I'm not kidding. I walked in. He got me in a headlock and punched me in the head twice. And I was like, stop, 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 stop. Ah, ah. <laughs> it's one of those moments where as soon as you've done something, you go, ah, oh, look, my life was better before I made that decision. Because now there's 60 kids here who just watched me puss out after two little punches in the head. That's why I didn't like my return to football when I made it. Because I'd been a distance runner for a long time. And you might get a scratch from someone's spikes in a race. But it was a very non-physical event in terms of physical contact. Like there's a push and shove. And you have distance runners try and claim that it's far more physical than, than what you would realise. But essentially distance runners are a bunch of pussies who, when it comes to it, like you put them on a football field... And that's where they go, oh, sorry, okay, that's physical contact. I didn't, I didn't quite realize, like, the intensity of what you guys were dealing with compared to, like, we bumped elbows with 150 meters to go, and it was quite stressful. But I remember going from distance running to, to football and copping a couple of corks. And it's like, you know when you trained yourself up to something and over time it becomes more easy to accept? I feel like corkies is one of those things, but I hadn't had a corky for 18 years. So I remember the first corky I got, my dad had come to watch a game of footy. I must have been, what was it, 2014, 27. So I was a 27-year-old man, and I copped a corky. There's never been a person stay down on the ground longer after a corky. I, I couldn't believe the pain that I was feeling. Yeah, it was a... It was, I, I'm not, why did I start telling you about that? About corky, ah, oh, that's right, yeah. Because when it comes to physical pain, I'm not a huge, not a huge fan of it. I like a physical challenge. Maybe I need to view it from that perspective. It might help me navigate it a bit more. But when it comes to actually just getting punched in the face, I'm I'm not a fan of it. Corked in the leg, nah. I don't really like it that much. Some people thrive on it, don't they? Um, when I get angry, I feel I can withstand a lot more pain. I think that's true for everyone, though, isn't it? It's funny how when you get frustrated or when you get emotional enough, all of a sudden pain dis disappears a little bit. I like that. Or, or certain, like with enough motivation or enough people behind you, like charging your emotions, you can do things that you usually wouldn't. I remember at football, people used to say to me, Tyce, get in the pack. And I was like, nah. And then a whole a whole like side of the audience would start saying, get in there. And I'd just sprint. I felt like I was all right at football when it came to the skill, but when it came to the actual, my good mate Chopper, um, his parent, his mum's name was Debbie, still is Debbie, Debbie's alive and well. She was a tough lady and he was a good footballer. And I remember one day she said to me, she goes, I've never seen anyone as funny as you playing football. Because this was on the threshold of where I was going from football into distance running. So I'd kind of thought, well, the idea of being injured in, in football is going to take away from my training on the running scene. So I'll just take it easy. But you can't be doing that as a footballer. And after after one game, she goes, mate, that is the funniest thing I've ever seen. You've got to decide, are you going into the pack or are you not? And I said, oh, I decided I'm not. And she's like, all right. Well, look, there's a certain kind of footballer who does that and they don't get far. I go, I appreciate your honesty, Debbie. Running's my choice. <laughs> then you get blokes like Nick Dacos here in Australia. I'm sorry if you're listening for any other country or state other than Victoria. There's that bloke again. He's like a giant mosquito. Can you hear him? I hope you can't. I think he just he, he comes by every couple of minutes just to do a drill. It sounds like a sore. Honestly, I'm going to beat the shit out of him after this. I don't care. I'm, I'm genuinely going to go down. You know how I said I can, 
I can take a few punches when I'm angry. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go down and go, mate, it's the pop culture podcast you're stuffing with. This is a podcast you're messing with now. Get like, How long does it take to build a house as well? These guys have been here for six months. Get your act together. It's all good and well to say, mate, I'm building something physical. I'm actually creating something with my time. Look at this, something physical that you can live in. Yeah, but mate, it took you six months to do it, dickhead. What are you bragging for? I saw so many different workmen come through. and You know what I mean? You can't be that arrogant when you stop working when it's raining. Sure, you work with electrical equipment. Excuses, excuses. No, we don't want to hear excuses. We want a house to live in. Oh, I would have been electrocuted if I had to use the bands. Shut up, mate. Hope you can't hear me. If he can hear me, I'm, I'm so scared. Because, it, you know. Could be the first episode the host of the Pop Culture Podcast gets the shit beaten out of him live on air. <laughs> But when it comes to corks, I was watching, um, I was because I'm subtly, I, I think I'm going to help. Like, you've got to be careful as a parent because you don't want to live vicariously through your kids and just be that, that parent who uh, forces your kids to do the things that you wanted to do but didn't have the guidance to, potentially. And I can sense this with me and, and my boys around football. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's just, there's a... There's a lot of subliminal messaging. Look at this. So there's just a football. Whenever I'm having fun with my boy, I pull out a footy and just try and associate the feelings of good fun with with a footy. I want my boy to see this to be like, hey, that's what I'm about. And and that's probably a sign that I'm going in the Tiger Woods dad direction because you don't want to. You want your kid to do the things they're passionate about. But early signs are good. I've been happy to see him interested in football, and I've also been fascinated by Nick Dacos from Collingwood and just why some people can come into the AFL or come into any sport and then just take it by storm despite the fact they're they're new he's that kind of guy that you just know that week in week out when he needs to deliver he's going to deliver and he showed this against the Bombers on the weekend like I think he kicked two goals in the last quarter when he was most needed I want to say he had 42 touches dude he's like I think he's right on six foot maybe just under like he's not a huge guy by AFL standards but he's just so silky he's so clean um, I think the first quarter his efficiency was like maybe 70%, but then as the game went on, as the pressure gets wound up, this guy, he just got more and more accurate. He just, he seems to be at the right place at the right time. So I've been doing a little bit of research because I'm like, all right, I'd love to be able to just help my help guide my boy in this direction if he's interested in football. It's, I mean, it sounds very forward when I say it out loud, but that always fascinates me. Like what is it about some people who when the pressure's on, they deliver. Like the high, Dusty Martin in the AFL was the same. Usain Bolt was the same. Michael Jordan was the same. Muhammad Ali was the same. I heard a cool story about Muhammad Ali last night. Uh, the thriller in Manila, I think it was 1974. And apparently the story goes that George Foreman at the time was the scariest, most dangerous man on the world. People were saying that Ali was past his prime. But then I heard about the mindset of Ali and his team going into that fight. They knew that if it came to physical power, like he was probably going to be a little bit outdone by George Foreman. So he had to be smart with the way that he approached the fight. And so what he did, he said he he used the experience that he had. He was a big talker and he talked so much smack in the lead up to the fight. And then his opening move was apparently a couple of, I think it was just like a couple of straight right jabs, which is, I don't understand boxing that well, but the bloke that I heard describing what was happening said that it was a, a it's quite a disrespectful, disrespectful move to make on a bloke like George Foreman 
at the time. And he said the goal with that was just to make him angry because all of a sudden when he's angry, like the idea of a game plan or the idea of just sticking to any kind of roadmap that you had to navigate your way through that fight disappears because emotions take over. Like I've been talking about wanting to beat up this construction worker and you, you don't think clearly, you stop thinking. And so he did that came in, made this uh, disrespectful move, and then apparently just started talking smack to him the whole fight. Is that all you got? I can't believe this is your best. How are we here? You, I heard you were tough. And he did that, and it looked like for the first five rounds that he was getting absolutely annihilated. But then after a little while, George started to run out of steam, and Ali had trained himself to withstand those kind of punches. And he was up against the ropes, and at the fifth or sixth round, he started to go, uh-oh, now's the wrong time to get tired. But the bloke was still angry but didn't have the physical strength to actually keep going at the pace that he had been going at. And that's where uh, things turned around. Like, there's a certain kind of athlete who takes it to that level. Because you think of boxing, you're like, oh, he's tough, he's fast, you can't beat that. But then, like, Floyd Mayweather seems to be another bloke who's who's in the category of people who can just, uh, you know, they can just they can just win when they need to. Anyway, so I've been I've been really pumped up by Nick Dacos. I get pumped up by those people because I'm like I'm just fascinated by it. They're just a I don't know what it is. You look at him as well, and I think he's 20. He just screams professional, and I love that as well. Like everything about him, he looks clean. His haircut looks done. He's got like that uh, that game day haircut. He just looks ready to go. And for a 20 year old, like you hear other people in his team speak about how he just demands the footy. It's it's crazy to watch. And so, for, and this is a big call for a Carlton supporter, but I mean, I've, uh, I've respected that. And to watch Collingwood. I mean, I, Collingwood, I'm going to say they're my second favourite team. Again, very strange thing for a, Colling, a Carlton supporter to say. But their ability, I saw now out of their last 12 games that they've been down at three-quarter time, they've won nine of them, which is unbelievable. And surely after nine wins out of 12 games being down at three-quarter time, not only are opposition intimidated and start to play into that mindset or start to fall into the mindset that you know they're going to come, but all of a sudden uh, they start to know that they're going to come back as well. It was Anyway, it was a great game. I'm interested to see how it all goes. I love football season. It's Friday tonight. There's not a great game. I can't remember who it is, but I remember thinking I don't really care. I got a gig tonight in Geelong which is always a win because last night I had to drive to Sunshine. You should see this place I went to last night. It's uh, I mean, I like it, and I, I, but you should see it. Have you ever seen that scene, Dawn Till Dusk, Quentin Tarantino movie where at the end, I think everyone turns into a vampire or monsters or something weird goes on. It's essentially this place that we're at. It's, it's exactly that. It looks like it's straight out of the 80s. They've got a Sack Dan Andrews logo on their front bar. They've got Trump hats in there. They've got oil cans hanging from the roof. It looks like an old speakeasy. I'm pretty sure, like, it has to be a laundering business. It has to be. What's it called? Double Deuce uh, Bar and Billiards is what it's called. Um, I don't know anything about whether it's a laundering business or not. Don't take that seriously if you're a police officer or, or someone in the detective industry who might want to look into that. But it's a, it's a wild place, and I got there, and it just, I mean, every now and then I've spoken to you guys about this before. You get to a room and you're like, oh, this is going to be one that I speak about in years to come because this is where comedians are made and broken. And, like, it's just a stretch. So there's eight pool tables. Last night there wasn't even anyone playing pool there. 
But the week before, I was being heckled by people just playing billiards, which is always strange. And in front of the stage, there's just a big empty... You know where you'd usually put seats in front of a stage? They've just got a big hollow area, and then people sort of sit around the billiard tables. And it's just a massive industrial hall uh, that... I mean, it's not... If you could think of a room that's not designed for comedy in any way at all, this is it. This is that room. And so I got up and... I did my I did my spots, and uh, I was at a room like that. I I just uh, I just make the decision that I'm just going to try brand new jokes. I'm just going to say premises that I've written down. I'm trying to write down ten jokes a day, and sometimes they're funny, and sometimes they're not. And so let me let me show you this. So I'll just show you some of the things that I wrote down. You tell me if you think they're funny. Um, uh, had a tough day the other day. I came home. Oh, okay. So you need a little bit of context. I'll just I'll just read you the premise. Okay. I I said to my mate the other day, I've got a I've got ninety nine problems and my bitch won't come. And he goes, Nah, dude, you've got a hundred problems. That's okay. <laughs> I see. This is the problem. I find that so funny. And I read that to Jessie and she goes, That that's not that funny. Um. My three-year-old's been learning to flirt a little bit recently, but the other day he accidentally shat himself in front of his crush, so he's still got a lot to learn. You say, okay, I mean, they're premises only. I write these down with the intention of working on them or deleting them, and still, um, here we are. Uh, my wife hates it when I use the toilet with the seat down. Sorry, I mean the lid. I don't know why I'm reading these to you. It's it's very silly that I'm I'm reading it to you. Um, but I'll, just, I'll give you one more. I'll give you one more. Um... Oh, now I've, now I feel pressure, and they're not that good. Uh, I can't do it. My kid gets upset when I drop him off at daycare for the day, not during the week, only on the weekends when there's no one else there. Okay, so <laughs> essentially they've, they've got some work that need to be done. But uh, at a room like that, you can you can afford to chuck out a couple of jokes like that. Do my brother-in-law sent me a photo the other day. It was just two little noodles on what looked like a piece of surgical cloth. I go, what's this dude? He goes, I just had a vasectomy. And he sent photos of the whole experience. He, he said, I look like I've got African-American balls right now uh, because apparently the day after they were very well bruised and they were dark and I assume they were probably bigger. I don't know what African-American balls look like, but I imagine they'd be bigger as well because they'd be in proportion to the actual... Um, to the actual willy, I would think. It feels disrespectful to call an African-American willy a willy. It sounds, a willy sounds too small to describe, you know, stereotypically what that, what it is that they're carrying. Um, I don't think I'll get a vasectomy anymore, though. Not that I was thinking about getting one soon, but I saw that and I thought that, that like, I didn't know how invasive that was. It looks, they look like two, I want to show you, but I feel like that's disrespectful to Sammy. Like, he'd probably get upset if I, if I started putting a, Maybe I'll put it on the YouTube video. I'll ask him if I can. I had no idea how invasive they were. I, I always just thought it was like a little clip or, or something. But, uh, yeah, they, they fully clip off. Uh, I don't know the anatomy, the anatomy names. I don't know exactly what it's called. But uh, I want whatever they are, I want them. I want them to stay in my balls, in my ball bag. Have you had, he said it didn't hurt. But it's, it's one of those things. It's like a... Uh, Apparently my wife's C-section didn't hurt, but you look at it, when it's happening, you go, I, I never want one of those. And I'm, I'm glad to you know, have a reason that I'll never get one of those, because physically I can't. 
a bit of a vasectomy, man, you know what? Let's just be more careful. I mean, I'm not going to talk about my sex life because I get in trouble. But, yeah. All right, that pauses. It was actually one of the nicest times to be echoed or interrupted by the drill. I'm actually quite glad he was here. It took my attention away from it for a moment. The Melbourne International Comedy Festival is finished now. I don't know how I feel about the Melbourne International Comedy Festival because it's it, someone asked me the other day, how do you get a, get a spot at the really good places? And the truth is you have to, there's a number of ways you can do it. You have to be really good at kissing ass. Comedy is such a networking game. You don't have to be the funniest as much as people try and tell you do. You don't have to be the funniest. You have to either, I mean, it helps. If you're that good, they can't ignore you. Go for it. Like, that's good. But you can be that good. You can be that good and not get a spot based on the fact that what you're saying is politically incorrect, which for a comedy scene is ridiculous so i said to jesse the other day i go hey look if i ever am performing on a big stage at the melbourne international comedy festival i've i think i've become a sellout because it's weird they charge you i think they charge you like 450 bucks just to have their little logo on your poster so to say that you're performing at the melbourne international comedy festival you you pay 450 bucks to the organization to get their little logo which is i i find crazy it seems weird like it's very strange. Like, why don't they just put on a festival and they say to comedians, comedians, come down, do your things. I don't know. Like, they don't help you. If you're an up-and-coming comedian, it's not like they do anything for you. You you get their logo on your on your sheet, and that's it. I was speaking to a mate last night who I love um, for a number of reasons, not only because he ran comedy shows all through lockdown, but, I mean, he's just a, he's a, he's just a good thinker, and he he's, gets frustrated at the bureaucracy and at sort of... Um, I don't know, just when people feel like they've got the, op, the the power to tell you exactly what to do. So like governments and things, he gets frustrated. Anyway, he's just a really, that's a really broad stroke of, of what the bloke is about. But as a result, I always enjoy talking to him. And last night he was telling me that he's doing a comedy show. And this year uh, he said, I'm not paying the, the festival. Instead, he just said at the bottom of his poster, this show is not affiliated with the Melbourne Comedy Festival. And... He goes, this show's not affiliated with the... And then he had the logo, like the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Because <laughs> that's what people care about, isn't it? Like, they just see that logo and they go, oh, gee, this is this guy must be powerful. That's the thing with branding. But really, he's saying, I've got nothing to do with it. But he still has the little thing on his poster, which I, I love. But also, like, no offense to these people, but if you're Asian, if you're a woman, if you're trans, if you're gay... Uh, if you're disabled, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival put you up on a pedestal and try and... I, I don't know what's going on in society at the moment that we feel like we've got to do this stuff, but I, I think it's gone... I reckon it's gone too far. You know when we get angry at fundamental Christians or fundamental any religion, and you're like, dude, stop pushing this down my throat. I'm just not interested. Like, I just... I couldn't give a shit about what you've got to tell me. I feel the same with the, the trans stuff now. I'm like, hey, do what you want. I've got no issue with you as a person. It's just the... It's just the religion of it. That's that's where I start to have an issue, and I feel like the the sort of the priests of that religion, uh, people like the Melbourne International Comedy Festival Committee, who go, okay, well, this guy's black, all right, this guy's from a minority group, she's gay, he's trans, like give them spots, and then there's a bloke who's been doing comedy for twenty five years who's a gun. They go, oh, he's a white male. I hate that attitude. It's like, yeah, it's weird to me that. Remember at primary school, you taught, hey, every single life matters. And now you talk about a white life mattering. People go, oh, my God. Like you can say what you want about white people at the moment, seemingly. 
My rule is whenever a black guy gives white people a hard time, I get up on stage and give that black guy a hard time about the same things. That's fair, isn't it? I mean, it never goes down well, but it's always interesting. Like, I just think it's interesting that a black person can say what they want in Melbourne about a white person, but you try to do that in reverse and all of a sudden it's racist. Like, it's not an honest conversation, is it? <laughs> anyway, so I think what I'm trying to say is if you ever see my uh, name up on uh, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival lineup, either have a chat to me because something that I believe has changed radically or call me out on it because I, I think I've, uh, I don't know, I think I've become a sellout maybe. And you don't want to sell out to someone like that because the truth is, like name the best Aussie comedian at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. I don't know. I'm sure there would be one, but Australian comedians aren't that big a deal. So we always fall into this mindset. You want to be a good comedian? Take this road. Take this uh, particular avenue. It, it doesn't seem to work. Like as, as you know, uh, some people love Will Anderson. He seems like a great guy. Um, but on an international scale, like I don't think he's that big a comedian, but he's done 20 international comedy festivals. Oh, sorry, Will. I don't use him as an example. Like I, I'm just using that to say that in Australia, maybe you have a little bit of a platform, but comedy is an international thing. So it's it's weird that a lot of comedians fall into the idea that that's the direction that they have to take for their comedy to be any good. I say just start your own little start your own little podcast. Build your own little audience. That's the beauty these days. You don't need big media outlets to give you a ticket or an audience, do you? You can just come on the Pop Culture Podcast and bang! <laughs> Game changer. Anyway, I uh, there were just a few things I wanted to talk to you about today. Enjoy your weekend. I hope it's a good one, and uh, and hopefully see you back here next week.